given us his heart in his word and my friends we live in a day and age of immense amount of information and I'm grateful for it I love that we live in an educated society where we have information at our fingertips but in the midst of all this education are we people of the book and not just find a verse but dwell and think deeply on God's word Even when we've got a good thing going, people tend to gravitate toward what's familiar, even if it's inferior. That's the case with the believers in Galatia, as we hear how Paul addresses the role of the law. He gives a perfect illustration in the example of Abraham's sons, one a son of bondage and the other a son of the Spirit. Pastor Daniel will explain how the flesh can push against the Spirit, making us think we have to work for salvation. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Jesus is Greater Than the Law. I know you all know this, but we live in a soundbite culture, right? Where you just take a little soundbite, a little snippet of someone's discussion, and you run it on out there like that's what they said. That's kind of the culture we live in, right? You think about in the day and age of something like Twitter, where you have to say something profound in 140 characters. I mean, how can you really say something profound in that quick of a time with all the proper nuances and all that stuff? It's very, very challenging. But because we live in that kind of culture, we're constantly reminded of the importance of context. I've said it many, many times, where if you take a text out of its context, what do you have left? A con, right? Context. You remove text from context and you have a con left. Let me give you an example of this. And this is kind of a fun example. I've told you guys this before with my kids, uh, my older kids, Obadiah and Maranatha. When we drive to school, our driving to school, I mean, after we uh, go crazy to try and get everybody out the door, then we get into the car and then we put on the armor of God. We do it as a family and then we pray. Now, what was funny is, is along the way, Obadiah decided, you know, dad, we need to add some armor to the armor of God. Because, you know, we do like the whole, you put on the helmet of salvation and we scream and yell and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and your feet shod with the gospel of, you guys don't know this? We got to teach you this. And the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so Obadiah is like, we, dad, we need to add some new ones to that. I'm like, okay, what do you think? And Maranatha is like, we'll put on the scarf of goodness. You know, like a, a little girl. And Obadiah's like, no, 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 no. I got an idea. Let's put on the trousers of joy. I mean, only a 10-year-old boy would think of trousers of joy. But then in the midst of that, in the midst of that, Obadiah, he's got this gleam in his eyes. like, I got it. I got it. We can put on the cup of protection. <laughs> I mean, he's brilliant. You know what I mean? Now, imagine all of a sudden someone is taping me and my kids in the car, and we're screaming out, you put on the cup of 
protection. And they just put it up there on the crossroads screens. You're going to be like, what is up with the Fuscos, right? But in the midst of the Amplified Bible's version of the armor of God, you put it in context and it makes sense. And the cup of protection is pretty brilliant, isn't it, for a little dude? It's funny, Maranatha, I want to be like, sweetie, you don't need a cup of protection, sweetie. You're totally good, you know? But, but that's picking the nits, so to speak, you know? I bring this up because we have been traveling together in this middle section of Paul's letter to Galatians. Remember I told you that the first two chapters are the personal chapters Paul's using his testimony, and then chapters three and four, it's a theological section, and then we move into chapters five and six, which is an application section. Because of Paul's story and because of biblical theology, now what does it mean for how we live? In this middle theological section, we've been studying it for more than a month now. And one of the downsides of this style of biblical teaching is that Paul, you could read chapters 3 and 4 in Galatians, even if you were the slowest, most specific reader, you can read it in about 10 minutes, right? It's 60 verses. But because we've been seeing this argument happening and and evolving over time, we have a tendency to miss the main point. Like you would imagine when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the churches in Galatia, they'd get that letter and they'd gather together as the church and they would just read Paul's letter from the beginning to the end, straight through, right? But since we've been going slowly, which we like to do, and we've been really kind of dissecting the word, we oftentimes, in the midst of looking at the trees, we miss the forest. And so we're going to kind of jump in now at the end of Galatians chapter 4 on a message that I've entitled, Jesus is greater than the law. So open up in your Bibles, Galatians chapter 4, picking up in verse 21. So I've been encouraging you to get a Bible, bring your own Bible to church. If you didn't do that, don't worry, there's Bibles on the pews in front of you. So I want you to pull those out. We're going to get open to Galatians chapter 4. If you're part of our online audience, it's so good to see you guys. Welcome. Don't forget, if you're on your computer, open up a new browser window so that you can find Galatians 4. We want you to be able to read along with us here in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Now, when I say that this message is called Jesus is greater than the law, if you've been traveling with us, you're like, yeah, Fusco, you pretty much say that every week. But again... I've held off on actually using that as the sermon title to get to the very end so that we can tie all of this together, right? Jesus is greater than the law. Now, I'm going to read to you Galatians 4, verses 21 to the end of the chapter, and you'll see how context is so important to this, because we're going to drop in, you're going to be like, huh? Look at what it says. Galatians 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one of a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. 
But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, that makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? Amen. We'll shut the Bible and we'll go home now. Everyone feel fed? (laughs) Remember, I talked to you about context. You drop in at the end of what for us is two chapters of a discussion. And you're like, what is going on? Let me, I'm going to put it in context for you. Paul, the apostle, planted a series of churches in the region of Galatia. And he went and he went into that community and said, listen, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus, then you will be born again. You will be forgiven and part of the family of God. And people responded to that message in droves. And then another group of teachers came through who scholars like to call the Judaizers or the legalizers. And no, we're not talking about legalizing marijuana or same-sex marriage. This is bringing people under the law of Moses. And they came to the church and they said, listen, the Apostle Paul didn't tell you the whole story. Because, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised and you need to eat kosher dietary laws and you need to put yourselves under the law of Moses. In order to follow Jesus, you actually need to become Jewish so that you can follow the Jewish Messiah. Right? And Paul loves the churches in Galatia enough to fight with them about this reality. Now, some of you might be like, well, so what's the big deal? I mean, Paul's just going on and on and on about this. You have to realize this this is a huge deal because if somebody can be made right with God by keeping a set of rules, then Jesus never had to die in the first place. If somebody can work their way into God's family, if someone can do whatever the rules are, then Jesus' death made no sense. And so for the Apostle Paul, this is a huge deal. Now, to apply it to our lives, I've been saying that it's very rare in this day and age for somebody to say, I'm going to become put myself under the Jewish law, but it's also very common in our day and age for people to erect their own set of laws that you need to keep in order to be a good person, right? I, all the time, it's one of my favorite things when, when I'm sharing the gospel with someone, they say, well, I don't need to believe in Jesus because I'm a good person. That's my favorite thing when it happens because they didn't even, they just threw me a softball, you know what I mean? So, and I'm be, I always say the same thing. I'm always be like, so, hey, can we talk about that whole you being a good person thing? Because you know what happens when someone does that? Deep down, what they're saying is, I am better than the worst person that I can imagine. So you, got, you guys remember grading on a curve in school, right? Where it's like, depending on what the average grade is, that becomes a C, and then it's scaled that way. Everybody thinks that they're a good person when you judge yourself against the person who throws the curve off, the person who who not only failed the test, didn't even take the test. 
So people say, because I'm not Genghis Khan, or insert your favorite evil dude, then I'm a good person. But that's really not a good way to judge good by the worst possible person you can think about. I would say, well, so listen, so are you as good as Mother Teresa? And then all of a sudden they get that look, you know, and they kind of, the coffee goes down the wrong pipe, you know? See, if somebody decides that they are going to deserve heaven because they are on some sort of self-salvation plan of whatever sort, that is legalism. That's saying, I am acceptable to God because I do X, Y, and Z. And so Paul, to the churches in Galatia, says, okay, you guys, listen. So you guys want to become Jewish? Then let's look at the law. And instead of going to Moses, Paul goes to Abraham. Why? Because Abraham was the beginning of Judaism as we know it. Sure, God gave the law to Moses, but the reason God gave the law to Moses was because he called Abraham. And he said, Paul's like, let's go to the source. And he's been using Abraham as the ultimate example of somebody called by God to be part of God's family, the first Jewish person. And so what he does now is Paul uses an allegory or a picture because Abraham had two sons, two offspring, both born under very different circumstances. And Paul is saying, listen, we learn about the same reality. Either you're saved by grace apart from works or you're saved by law keeping. And we see this picture in Abraham's two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. It's powerful. So look at what Paul says. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. Now, I love this. Paul says, okay, you guys want to be under the law? Let's have a Bible study. And it begins here for us. Brothers and sisters, we need to find it in the Bible. We need to find it in the Bible. God's word. God chose to give us his heart and his ways in a book. Valentine's Day. So many people, you, you buy your, your sweetie, you buy your honey, uh, some flowers, you buy them some chocolate and a date at the gym after they're done with that stuff, right? And those things are fun, but the chocolate gets digested, the flowers wither and die, but if you were smart, you wrote your honey a card. Why? Because long after the chocolate's digested and the flowers wither, you still have the words that were written. Because words are creative. And God chose to give us his. God's word is creative. And God has given us his heart in his word. And my friends, we live in a day and age of immense amount of information. And I'm grateful for it. I love that we live in an educated society where we have information at our fingertips. But in the midst of all this education, are we people of the book? And not just find a verse, but dwell and think deeply on God's word. I could say it to you this way. 
maybe we should get off Facebook and get our faces in the book. And don't get me wrong. You guys know I like Facebook as much as the next person. But seriously, we are created anew in Jesus to be people of God's word. And God's word transforms us. It's like a laser that does heart surgery. It can discern down to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. Only God's word does that. And listen, don't be content with somebody else's version of it. Read God's word yourself and think about it and pray on it and let the Holy Spirit, who if you're here today and you're born again, dwells inside you, let the Holy Spirit give you revelation on it. See, for the Apostle Paul, he grew up in Judaism. He was very well educated, being apprenticed by a man named Gamaliel. But what's amazing is, is that It wasn't until Paul came to know Jesus that he ever interpreted the sons of Abraham the way he's going to do it right now. He would never have said that law-keeping is Ishmael and faith in Jesus is Isaac. That is brand new for a very learned man. He had never even contemplated that. But now, because of Jesus and the finished work, Now he's finding it in the book, and he's saying, wow, brothers, sisters, be sons and daughters of the word of God. Say, what does the word say? See, you know what I love about God's word? It hems us in. God's word keeps us on a short leash. I don't know how many times, and and the beauty of memorizing scripture is that you catch yourself all the time. You start getting grumbly in your spirit. Oh, I can't believe I got to do that. And I can't believe I got to mow the lawn. And why did I make a mess? And then you hear God's word say, do all things without grumbling and complaining. You're like, oh. And then at that moment, then you decide, are you going to follow God? Are you going to get in the flesh, right? Love your enemy. Oh. Because you're like, oh, man, this is just unbelievable. We need to be people of the book. And we need to dwell deeply on it. And you need to say, God, I want my life to be conformed to your word. And when we're in God's word, God does something in our hearts. He does something in our lives. And Paul is like, look, you guys want to be under the law? Are you even hearing what it says? He had already told him. He said, listen, if you want to put yourself under the law, you got to keep all of it. All of it. He said, you're not even hearing it. He's like, but let me give you another example. Since we're going to find it in the word, let's look at Abraham's two children. Now, notice what he says in verse 22. He says that Abraham had two sons, the one of a bondwoman, the other of a free woman. Verse 23. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he who was of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. Now, where do you find this? Genesis 16, 18, and 21. Those three chapters tells about Abraham and his two sons, the first son, Ishmael, the second son, Isaac. Really, it's in that whole section, but specifically 16, 18, and 21 give you the details. I'm going to explain it to you. And it's pretty relevant for us. So God called Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make a brand new nation out of you. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham's like, sounds like a plan, Lord. Sounds good, right? God says, look, I want to use you, and I want to bless the world through you. I'm going to make a great nation from your name. You'd be like, 
Yeah. It's not the worst thing to hear from God. Amen? Amen. So he goes on out. But guess what? Abraham's older and Sarah's older and they've never had any kids. Sarah's barren, which means she had never had a child. But God had made a promise. So what do normal people do when God makes a promise and God delays in his answering of that promise? What do we do? We help God out. Because God can't accomplish anything without our help. Am I the only one who, who, yeah, you guys too, I know it. I know. See, God's timing is perfect, but it's never our timing. Has anybody in here ever had God show up on your timetable? Anybody? No hands? Praise God, I didn't want everyone to be suffering from envy for the one person at one time. See, God's timing is perfect. But Abraham and Sarah, God made a promise. And listen, they weren't getting any younger. I mean, you got to think that Abraham and Sarah, they would have been like the patriarch and matriarch of next step. <laughs> Pastor Bill would be like, oh, well, then Abraham would be like, Sonny, let me tell you what it was like when I was young. You know, it's like they were older and, and, and they had never had a child. And this was long before the day and age of Viagra, in vitro fertilization. I mean, they were well past the age of childbearing by any standard. I love it. My grandfather, Anthony, he's 91 years old. He's so fun. He's spunky as all get out. And every once in a while, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm getting old. I'd be like, well, you ain't as old as Abraham. And he had a baby at that age. And he'd be like, well, good for him. Good for him. I'm like, well, we're going to send the baby over to your house. Have fun with her. (laughs) So what did they do? They they had a plan. Because you know what? If God's delaying his timing, God needs a little help to get the thing done, right? And so they're like, okay. So I was like, I got a plan. Okay, Abraham, check it out. Maybe she didn't call him Abe. She probably called him Abe or something. Abe's. Abe's. You know, hey, Abe's, I got a plan. Okay, this is what we're going to do. You know Hagar? Hagar's her maidservant. Now, back in the day, a maidservant was a servant girl, and the mistress was the woman of the house. Now, mistress means something different today. So you women of the house, don't call yourselves mistresses. That means a whole other thing, bad, no good. Doesn't honor Jesus. Okay, but back in the day, she's like, she's like listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you Hagar, my maidservant, and she's going to be your bride. And you can conceive a son with Hagar. And in that culture, when a, the mistress of the house, the matriarch of the home, were to give her maidservant to the patriarch of the home, the firstborn child was considered the offspring of the matriarchs, not the maidservant. So Sarah's like, I got a plan. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you Hagar. And Abraham's like, sounds good. Total guy, you know. Sinner. You know. And so he's like, okay, sounds good. So sure enough, Hagar becomes his wife. They have a baby, and out pops Ishmael. Right? And that, my friends, is what happens when we try and help God. We end up with an Ishmael. Because what we're finding out here is that Abraham had two sons, and one was the son of promise, according to God's grace and spirit, and the other one is the work of the flesh. Jesus is... Thanks for joining us today for this edition of Jesus is Real Radio. We're so blessed by what God is doing through Jesus is Real Radio. We want to give you the opportunity to partner with us. For anyone who wants to help further the gospel here on Jesus is Real Radio, with a gift of $20 or more, we will send you a 
personalized copy of Pastor Daniel's book, Honestly. I'll be back in a moment to tell you how you can receive your personalized copy. But first, here's Pastor Daniel with more about this special book offer. Thanks, Josh. Honestly is a book I wrote to help people deal with the messiness of life. I mean, we all know it. Life throws us curveballs all the time. We never know what's coming next. But honestly comes from what I've discovered out of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, how you can manage your life through the lens of your relationship with Jesus. It's some powerful stuff. And I've been blessed as many people have told me how the book has helped them on their spiritual journey. I'm confident that honestly will be a blessing to you as you walk with Jesus. And I'll be personalizing each and every copy for the Jesus is Real radio listeners who partner with us this month. Here's Josh with some more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive your very own personalized copy of Honestly, simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. Then you can securely make your donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping. Remember, by partnering with us this month with your gift, You'll not only receive this great resource, you'll also be enabling Jesus is Real Radio to be heard on this station and many more. That's all the time we have for today. Join us next time for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio. 